Welcome to The Last Theory, an easy-to-follow exploration of what might be the last theory of physics, Wolfram physics. I'm Mark Jeffrey, and this is episode 20, the founding of the Wolfram Physics Project. This is the first of a series of excerpts from my recent conversation with Jonathan Grad, which I'll be releasing as bonus episodes alternating with my regular content over the coming weeks. I'm very excited to be talking to Jonathan Garrard, who was instrumental in the founding of the Wolfram Physics Project and now heads the Centre for Applied Compositionality at the Universities of Cardiff and Cambridge. Jonathan, welcome to The Last Theory. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. It's a, it's a really great pleasure to be here. We're certainly going to get into both the Wolfram Physics Project and the Centre for Applied Compositionality, but I'd just like to start with your background. Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came to do research in mathematics, physics and computation? Okay, so, well, I guess, so as you say, my, my name is Jonathan. I'm really a, a mathematician by training, but I consider myself to be someone who's, I, I, I'm the sort of mathematician whose interests are much wider than his skills. And so my, you know, my, my sort of my, my formal training is really in functional analysis, differential geometry. I, I ended up doing research in sort of the mathematical aspects of general relativity. Uh, it was kind of the topic of my PhD, working on uh, stuff to do with hyperbolicity theorems for the Einstein field equations, working out under what situations the equations of general relativity are well posed, that kind of stuff. Uh, so I was, I've, I've been interested, you know, ever since I was an undergraduate, I was interested in mathematical foundations of physics and general relativity in particular. But I have, but my interests were always kind of a little bit broader than that. I also had I was very interested in mathematical logic, foundations of mathematics, uh, aspects of theoretical computer science, uh, you know, complex systems theory, lots of, lots of different things. I met uh, Stephen Wolfram in 2017 and uh, sort of started collaborating with him on a, on a, a couple of various, a couple of different research projects and joined Wolfram Research as a kind of part-time consultant and, and research fellow, working on things like automated theorem proving, symbolic logic, uh, quantum computing non-deterministic computation, sort of various random uh, math and physics related algorithms, kind of R&D projects. But uh, the, the reason actually that I, I kind of, uh, I was excited to meet Stephen and that I, that I wanted to kind of get involved a little bit in that world was because back when I was in high school, when I was about uh, 15, I read A New Kind of Science, Stephen's book from 2002, yeah. which proposes this kind of computational paradigm, right? This paradigm of, of thinking about natural processes as computations and trying to, and therefore sort of translating uh, sort of notions that come from theoretical computer science to do with irreducibility and undecidability and universality and so on, and figuring out what they imply for the foundations of science. And I was particularly, I, I, there were lots of interesting things I thought from the book, but I was particularly interested in the sections on foundations of mathematics, but also on fundamental physics. Yeah. And so I, I kind of, for several years, or a couple of years at least, kind of goaded Stephen about like, you know, <laughs> we, we should like, we should look at this, these, there are some interesting ideas here, you know, we should really develop these in more detail. And so I did a couple of side projects looking at trying to sort of extend some of the, uh, some of the ideas that Stephen had brought up in the Foundations of Physics uh, section. Yeah. And then uh, in, t- in 2019, uh, in the summer of 2019, there was this really nice confluence of factors. So Stephen had just had this idea for how to kind of greatly simplify the underlying graph rewriting formalism in a way that you didn't have to worry about uh, symmetries of rewrites and stuff. And we, maybe we can talk about that later. But yeah. I had just made a sort of uh, minor breakthrough about there was, the, there was a condition that we previously thought had to be satisfied called causal invariance, which, which we thought was extremely restrictive. And I came up with a scheme which not only made it much less restrictive, but also seemed to give us kind of quantum mechanical behavior for free. 
Yes. And meanwhile, uh, there was a, th- a third person, a, a student at the summer school that year, Max Piskanov, who had yeah. just spent about a year uh, developing this, this wonderful software system called SetReplace, which allowed us to do very, very efficient uh, gra- uh, graph rewriting and hypergraph rewriting through subset replacements. And so this kind of all came together in, in the summer of 2019. And we thought, okay, well, you know, it, if, if this isn't the right time to do this project, then this project yeah. is never going to happen. And yeah. so, so we kind of, we made the decision then to start uh, when it wasn't called the Wolfram Physics Project then, but that was kind of, yeah. that, was the, the, that was the point where it, where it sort of started germinating from. And uh, then we, we worked pretty intensively on it for the, for the next eight months or so. And then in uh, April of 2020, we kind of went live and, uh, you know, we, we put up wolframphysics.org. And uh, that's, you know, that was sort of the official launch of the, of the physics project. And so I then, for the first, let's see, first year and a bit, I was, I was the associate director of research. I think I'm still nominally the associate director of research for the project, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's now, but my, my duties have, have largely been divested to other people now. Yeah. Kind of tr- really trying to build up and, and, and guide the kind of lo- the large scale research directions of the project. Why do you think it took you and Max to kind of push Stephen into, uh, you know, Stephen had all these ideas and he had published a new kind of science way back in 2002. So this is you know, 17 years later. Why do you think it took the two of you to push Stephen and say, there's something here, we've got to pursue this? Why did it take that? Well, I think a number of reasons. I mean, some of which are to do with, you know, Stephen's own psychology and his way of doing things. I mean, yeah. so you know, like he, he'd always said, I mean, if you read sort of blog posts and things he was writing, even shortly after the announcement of the book, even shortly after the release of the book, he was saying that he kind of his, you know, the, the, the last big project that he wanted to work on was to try and like find the fundamental theory of physics yeah. using the methods from chapter nine of NKS. And, you know, he made a kind of, he, there was an attempt, a first attempt in sort of 2004, 2005, so a couple of years after the release. And then there was another attempt, I think around 2008, 2009, and but they were kind of fairly short-lived things they they were not really they didn't amount to much more than just kind of a little bit of systematic exploration a little bit of like enumerating yeah. graph rewriting rules and sort of seeing interesting behavior which is the it's the kind of computational zoology stuff that Stephen really likes to do um, yeah. but that was really kind of all, all that it ultimately amounted to and i think so part of it was part of the reason why it never took off was because i think Stephen kept getting sidetracked with other yeah. potentially more exciting projects right so yeah. uh, there was wolfram alpha that were kind of, you know, I think occupied a lot of his attention from around 2002 to about 2008. Then there was Wolfram Language, which occupied his attention from kind of 2008 onwards. And then lots of other, you know, lots of other random side projects that somehow were, were higher priority at, at every stage. Then there's a, and now I'm, I'm being a bit more speculative, but I think there was yeah. also a, a, a sociological aspect to it, which was that, so one of the interesting things that, uh, when one looks at the response to NKS, you know, the, the, there, was, there was a lot of very positive response. And then there, it's fair to say there was a significant amount of negative response. Yeah. And it's interesting to note that actually almost all of the negative response was from physicists. You know, people like biologists, uh, even chemists, even, you know, people working on engineering. Lots of, you know, uh, lots of these people said, well, maybe NKS is written in a slightly abrasive style and, we, and whatever. But like, there are definitely interesting ideas here. The only yeah. people who were basically saying, no, 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 it's all nonsense, were, were people working on fundamental physics. And that's kind of interesting. And uh, I think, again, my, my speculative conclusion is that I think when, you know, there was a period of time, so, that, you know, particle, theoretical particle physics went through a kind of golden age in the 1960s, 1970s, maybe early 1980s, where, you know, this, where p- previously people had been playing around with 
current algebras and regge theory yeah. and whatever. And then there came a point where people settled on gauge theory. And then, yeah. you know, the standard models kind of came together very quickly. And then there was a big cottage industry, if that's not too much of an oxymoron, of people kind of like, you know, c calculating scattering amplitudes and things using, using the standard model and discovering people were discovering new elementary particles every other week and whatever. Yes. So it was a really big, big furore of activity, which happened to coincide with the time when Stephen was still a particle physicist. Yeah. And then afterwards, it kind of slowed down. Standard model got a, got a bit more settled. People became then enthralled with the idea of, well, can we extend these gauge theoretic methods to try and develop a, a kind of a, a full you know, theory of quantum gravity? And that really gave rise to string theory. String theory is really yeah. the, it's, it's what happens when you take the kind of methods of gauge theory that worked for developing the standard model, and you try to kind of incorporate, uh, you know, you try to incorporate gravity, you try to incorporate the symmetries of the Poincare group uh, into the same, uh, you know, formalism of gauge symmetries that you use for the rest of the fundamental interactions. So in some ways, it's actually a very unradical idea. It's just kind of using the methods that already worked and trying to imply them to, you know, to, to, to go a little bit further. So yes. I think in the 80s, 90s, there was still quite a lot of enthusiasm, you know, after the first and second superstring revolutions and, and, and those kinds of things. There was still quite a lot of enthusiasm that string theory was the thing that was going to kind of bring physics to fruition, so to speak. Yeah. And I think when the book came, the book came out from that point of view at exactly the wrong time, because it was a, a, <laughs> yes. a time when, when people were still quite, op when the, the optimism for string theory was still very much in the air. And yeah. so people were saying, no, 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 we've got a method. It works fine. We don't need yeah. your weird graph thing. Like, we, we don't care. And I think by 2019, like, I don't want to be too dismissive of, I, I, I like string theory. It's a nice, it's a nice collection of mathematical ideas. And it's, I, I have it's to say, I, I don't like string theory. So I'm, I'm glad that there's something that's gone out. Okay. Uh, okay, yes, well, you're, you're being very polite to string theory. So let's go with that. That's great. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious to know why, why you don't, I mean, I, it's, I, maybe we can talk about this later. But so I, I like, I, I have, when I say I like string theory, I mean, I, I, I tend to, uh, this maybe comes as a consequence of not really being a physicist. I, I often appraise theories much more based on their mathematical and philosophical elegance than I do. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not claiming that I think string theory is a plausible ontology for reality. That would be far yes. too strong. Indeed. What I'm saying is that, you know, that, that the, you know, there are these ideas like mirror symmetry, like, you know, the, the, this, this realization that you can take these, these very abstract complex surfaces, these collabi manifolds, and by making this crazy change of coordinates, you can, you can make them isomorphic to a different set of, uh, of, of, of surfaces, of K3 surfaces. Yeah. You know, that's an idea, that's an algebraic geometrical idea that was totally bizarre and that no yes. algebraic geometer would ever have conjectured. And yet somehow it kind of fell out naturally from string theory. So yeah. it's, uh, it, it's a really beautiful collection of mathematical ideas. And it's had a lot, it's had a profound influence on modern uh, complex geometry, algebraic geometry, uh, differential geometry, and so on. So even if it turns out to be hopeless as a theory of physics, I think it will have yes. nevertheless been worth investigating. Anyway, so what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to be mean to string theorists, but I think it's safe to say that the enthusiasm that was maybe still alive in 2002 for string theory by 2019 was definitely dead. I mean, people yeah. were basically, you know, all the low-hanging fruit had been picked and everyone who kind of, anyone who was anyone was basically saying, look, string theory might be a part of the answer, but we, get, we need some new ideas. Yeah. Um, so I think there was much greater receptivity uh, to, 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 to sort of novel proposals. Yeah. And that was another important component of it. And I don't know. I think in some ways, maybe it was not... Okay, another sociological aspect may have been that it was not immediately clear how you would structure a project like the physics project. You know, would you, yeah. would it just, you know, would it be a completely open thing? Would you offer prizes for, you know, to, to, to the external community? Would you try and build some internal team? How would you fund it? Blah, blah, blah. And the way we ended up doing the physics project, at least for the first couple of years, 
which was really a kind of very small, uh, you know, very small internal team doing essentially open science, right? Doing Twitch streams yeah. and YouTube streams and things where we did, yeah. you know, for our working sessions. That idea that you could kind of stream uh, scientific research, I think would have been really alien, you know, certainly pre about yeah. 2015. And so, so, so the, 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 the mode of, of actually doing the project, which turned out, I think, actually to be quite, to be quite fruitful. Yes. Really only made sense, I think, at that particular point in time. So there, there was a, there were a, a variety of, of, of factors that I think came together, but I think those would be a couple of them. That's fascinating. There's so much in there that's uh, just fascinating from a sociological point of view. I mean, it's happened over and over again in the history of science where it, it's so difficult for the existing established community to accept radical new ideas because scientists become invested in the theories that they spent their entire careers learning how string theory works, for example. It's very difficult to say, okay, well, let's let's start again with this different approach. And what do you say about the time being right, not just technologically, uh, obviously, you know, online collaboration is a lot easier today than it used to be, but uh, also sociologically, uh, you know, people are used to online collaboration now. So the timing is right for that kind of approach. And the, I mean, it's, it's as, as horrible as it sounds. I mean, in some ways, I think actually the pandemic may also have been a, a, a non-trivial yeah. contributing component, right? So yeah. the fact that we chose to launch it when we did and that it ended up getting the amount of attention that it did, I think is yeah. not unrelated with the fact that we were in the middle of lockdown and people didn't have much else to do but sit around and like listen to some random people talk about physics. Yeah. There certainly seemed to be a, a certain type of audience member we probably wouldn't have got if, you know, the world had been kind of continuing as normal. Thanks for listening to The Last Theory. Join me for fresh insights into Wolfram Physics every other week. Subscribe to the free newsletter, podcast or YouTube channel at lasttheory.com. After all, this might be the most fundamental scientific breakthrough of our time.